Welcome back, everyone. Welcome. I'm Kenzo, one of your hosts for the Real Japan Podcast. And I am Ferg. And we will be bringing you once again the latest headlines that are probably related to the coronavirus because that's all there is to talk about lately. Yes, sir. Uh, but uh, that being said, uh, how's uh, how's life treating you, man? It's going all right, thanks. Not too bad. Um, as we have discussed many times before, my life up in the mountains of Nagano is basically like living in quarantine anyway. Um, this weekend, I visited a waterfall. It's called Nayanotaki, literally Nayana Waterfall near Kurohime Mountain, which is kind of on the border between Nagano and uh, Niigata prefectures. The reason I mention it is because it's an interesting story behind uh, Nayana no Taki, where okay. apparently this old kind of ninja uh, lived there in like a cave hey, Everyone on this likes mountain. ninjas. <laughs> I think his name was Jirai Nari. It was, it's written with kind of funny Japanese characters, so I'm not 100% yeah, sure. Yeah, like, like uh, ye old Japanese Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But he seems to have been, from what I gathered, um, from the signs that they had there, he seems to be been a kind of Robin Hood type figure almost, like helping to fight the evil mountain bandits and helping the poor villagers. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was good to get out into the mountains and see that, that good waterfall. What about you? Were, how? how were, were, um, were, were there any other people out there? There. So the trail is actually this waterfall is quite well known locally. It's one of the top 100 waterfalls in in Japan. But okay, there's two ways you can see it. There's a long way and a short way, each coming mm. from different directions. So we hiked the long way and we didn't see a single other person on the trail even though this wow, was no shit. At, at the weekend yeah which is quite unusual mm. but when we got to the actual waterfall there were a small number of people maybe like three or four that had, must have come from the other direction like i said the shorter direction yeah they're lazy yes sir well I suppose wow, but, e- but even let... then the, mm. even then there were only three or four huh yeah, it's, so it's very quiet, especially mm. for a weekend. I mean, it's still a little bit early. The real kind of hiking season doesn't really kick off until after the rainy season. But it was still, yeah, still very quiet. Yeah, and, and you know, it's still uh, it's still a bit cold out, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Has, has, yeah, it hasn't, hasn't really warmed up yet. Yes, sir. There was, still, there was still lots of snow on the ground as well, so. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm. Uh, yeah, as far as uh, what I've been up to, um, see, I think I went out once. Dude, you're risking the yeah. quarantine or the self isolation. I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was getting the shakes. <laughs> Were you getting cabin fever? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I need, I need to get out of here. Yes, sir. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, I just went and had a, a drink or two, mm, mm. or three, and uh, that was about it. Yes, sir. Did you wear a mask when you were out and about? 
No. No. Dude. Well, like, the, the only time I wear a mask is whenever I take, like, public transit. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because the, the place where I went is just, like, literally down the street, so. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, eh. Yeah. 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 I, um. Yeah, I rarely use a mask. I actually don't like them because they make my glasses fog up, but. I've been feeling a bit guilty lately when I go into stores and things and I don't have a mask. Oh, yeah. People think you're a fucking savage when you do that. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, I know the feeling. Irresponsible, eh? Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 get, I, I feel that way a lot of times, too, because I, if I take my, um, my car somewhere, if I drive somewhere, yeah. like, if I dri- like if I drive to the supermarket, you know, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I don't wear a mask, right? Because I'm not. Yep. I, I, yeah. Like I probably should, but I don't. And so, yeah, like so, I'll, I'll roll up to the supermarket and just get out, and then you know, go about my business. And people think I'm some kind of freak because I'm not wearing a mask. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's social shaming. It is. It is. Although one thing that uh, just that you mm. mentioned, um, like the. The mask fogging up your uh, yeah your glasses. My glasses. Mm. Um, it, it it's because and I, I've I've figured out what the reason is. Yeah. And the reason is is that Japanese masks are engineered mm. for people with small noses. Oh, interesting. I'm I'm pretty sure because yeah. I I think people in the West don't have that problem as much. Mm, that's interesting. Because their masks are, you know, and like engineered for people with a certain, you know, like a certain type, a certain type of face, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I do use there are wipes. You can use it for your glasses. It say they will stop your glasses fogging up, but. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't yeah, those found help, them, but. Yeah, they help, but not. Not perfect, I've mm-hmm, found mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shall we, before we, like, kind of jump into the the main news story, shall we do a quick roundup of some corona news? Because, I, I, you know, it's been in the news, obviously, every day. Yeah, like, sure. The main focus of the news, and I've been reading some, you know, just some little articles here and there. But, all right, all right. So as of the uh, date that we're recording, Tuesday the 21st, um, there were 11,153 cases of coronavirus in Japan and 263 deaths. And did you know Iwate Prefecture in northern Japan seems to be the only prefecture without any cases of coronavirus? Yeah, well, that's not going to last very long, I'll tell you that much. Dude! I think they must be doing something special up there. Something well, very I, like, I, healthy I, I, good. Yeah, I'm like, I, I say that not because I'm just a cynic, even though I am, yeah. but uh, because th- there's that Golden Week holiday mm. coming up, mm. and you know people aren't going to be staying home. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, like a lot of people will, certainly, but a lot of people are just going to go on trips or, you know, go, go see grandma. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, and it's, it's going to be a fucking disaster. Like, I, I mm. like if, if, if anything, that's going to be the one that really, like, blows this thing wide open, I think. A ticking time bomb for Japanese yeah. uh, coronavirus cases, certainly. The Golden Week mm-hmm. public holiday, mm-hmm. um, or series of public holidays. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I'm sure listeners are aware, but the government, the Japanese government has now extended the state of emergency to cover the whole country. And mm-hmm. Correct. they're also going to give everyone um, 100,000 yen, 100,000 yen sort of handout to get people through this. Yeah, hell yeah, time. free money. <laughs> are you excited about that? Yeah, hell yeah, I'm excited, bro. It will go to the local governments and then they'll distribute it. But what I've read in the papers is that it seems likely it will be distributed around mid-May. Mm, okay. So just in time for me to send it off to my credit card, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know that's what's going to happen for like most people. They're just going to use it to pay off their credit card. You gotta spend it on vital supplies, rations, and things. Yeah, but I'm tired of the creditors calling me at three a.m. <laughs> I'm gonna use it to start my prepping equipment supply. I'm gonna buy bows and arrows. Oh, okay, and okay. Water purifiers and things, and tin food. Yeah, man, you you can have your own little Walking Dead going on. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny because I think the uh well, the the last time the government gave out free money was at the the financial crisis, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember you mentioned yeah. I was in Japan at that time. Yeah, and and, and uh, yeah, granted it was a lot less. I think it was about it was about $100 a person, mm. but mm. I I think like one of the the problems with that was like, yeah, like it wasn't really a lot of money, so people just kind of threw it in their bank account and it never, they never spent it. Yeah, didn't even um, notice it, it was there. Yeah, mm. and it was either that or it was like, uh, like I was joking about earlier, but like uh, people just used it to like pay off their credit card. So mm. it didn't really, yeah. uh, it, re- it really had a negligible impact on like consumption. Yeah. Um, so it'll be, It'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to see if giving out like greater sums are going to encourage people to actually spend it on something or if they're just gonna do what they did last time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to to tell, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I don't know, we'll see. We'll see. Um also as well, the government is also giving out two cloth uh, masks, to, or two cotton masks to, to everyone. What do you think? Or to yeah, every whoop, household, sorry. Whoop-de-doo, huh? Dude, are you not excited about that? I, I think the funny thing about that is it's just mm. straight up two per household. Mm. So, yeah. like, if you, have, if you have four people, if you have, like, I don't know, like, parents and two kids, like, what, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. There have already been some complaints about these masks as well because they started distributing them already to pregnant women, you know, who were considered a high-risk category. 
And oh yeah, and they had like bugs and shit in them or something. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like here, here we go for the high risk people. You get the ones tainted with insects. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I was reading as well. This is according to an Asahi Shimbun poll, one of the main newspapers in Japan. Fifty-seven percent of the respondents do not think that Abe has displayed good leadership um, in regard to this coronavirus situation. Well, that sounds about right, I guess. Yeah, and 58% of respondents um, also stated that they feel worried about, you know, their their lives becoming difficult um, as a result mm-hmm. of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rightfully so, yeah. It's like no, no one, no one knows what's going to happen. Yes, sir. Yeah. And in another bit of bad news, McDonald's stores in thirteen prefectures are going to stop selling food in store and move to drive-through and takeaway only. Yeah, well, I mean that's. I like. I don't. I never really ate there that often. Anyway, I don't Did know you about not? you, but. I did yeah, sometimes. Like, mm. I don't know. I, I I just prefer to take it home. I guess I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I do agree. When I lived in Tokyo, I always took it home and never ate in the store. But since I live mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm, I sometimes mm-hmm. eat in the store because by the time I drive home, it's a little bit not quite fresh. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um. <laughs> also, did you read about this um, politician? Uh, Takashi Takai of the Constitutional Democratic Party who visited a sexy bar, a cabaret club in <laughs> good old Kabukicho, a neighborhood of ill repute in Shinjuku, central yeah, it is Tokyo. Like the, the red light district. Yes, sir. I think that was on the day the state of emergency um, was declared, wasn't it? I, I've, I haven't read that article, so you, you know more about it than me. I, well, he immediately went out to celebrate at a sexy, sexy bar. <laughs> and then celebrate. It was probably found out, and he was expelled from his party. Oh, he got expelled, really? Yeah, well, he was doing the exact opposite of what politicians were telling people to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 certainly. And then just quickly... Well, that's, be- uh, that's fun. Before we move on... Um, so last week we mentioned Yuta Tomika, who's a TV um, announcer for or presenter for TV Asahi, who had coronavirus. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and came into work despite having a high temperature. And then TV Asahi found another two infections, a producer and staff, and they closed all their offices. Uh, sorry, they closed yeah, their main yeah. office in in Tokyo. For disinfecting for three days from the 17th to the 19th. Yeah, well, I guess that's what happens if people don't still come into work when they're not taking care of their their health and, and being mindful of these things, eh? Yeah, that's, that's, that's also an issue with, with Japanese work culture in general, I mm. think. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, people are strongly discouraged to 
take time off even if they're sick so it's just become a habit i think for a lot of people you know yeah certainly yeah yeah and and i don't know how it is in in the uk but in the u.s Mm. like typically you'll have vacation days and you'll have sick days yeah yeah same in the uk yeah but in in japan like there's like there's no such thing as a sick day like you have your vacation days yep so if you're sick, you have to use your vacation days, which is kind of it puts people in yeah. kind of you know like a fucked up situation. I think that's part of the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. But yep. So so it goes, you know. Exactly. It doesn't help that a lot of people just don't take their paid vacation anyway because you know they don't feel comfortable taking it. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to burden their coworkers by taking time off. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so if people can't even take it for an actual holiday or vacation, then there's no chance that they'll take it, you know, when they're sick. Yeah, yeah, for real, man, yeah. Oh, well, shall we move on to some some of the stories we've been reading about this week? Yeah, um, see, well, mine is... Mm slightly corona related but then you had a deep dive that wasn't really related right yep that's correct so so let's hit up yours first and then we can kind of you know go back for mine okay so for listeners that weren't scared away by the previous deep dive on moritomo we're doing another deep dive today about the japanese housemaker sekisi house now, in June 2017, this company um, fell victim to a kind of huge scam concerning the sale of land. And they were conned out of uh, 5.5 billion yen, roughly $55 million, roughly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is what we're going to talk about today because it's recently come back in the news. Now, Sekisui House for listeners outside Japan, is a huge company, isn't it? It's one of the largest sort of house building and real estate companies in Japan. Headquartered in Osaka. Yeah, one of the biggest developers, yeah. Exactly. I read that they do also have a presence in the US. Is that, have you ever heard of them operating in the US? No, like I never, although like I'm not Mm. a real estate guy, you know, Mm. but just, just, like going through daily life, I'd never heard of them, uh, heard mm. of their U.S. operations, you know. Mm. Yeah, well, anyway, yeah, they are a huge company here in Japan. Certainly one of the most sort of well-known companies in that um, industry. Now, mm. this the story today concerns a very large and quite desirable piece of land in Gotanda in central Tokyo. This piece of land was about 2,000 square meters in size. And just so, as an aside, mm. Gotanda is well known for its uh, sexy time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, it's it's kind of where the... Because the, the, Kabukicho, which came mm. up a little bit earlier, mm. is in Shinjuku, which is the most, I think, well-known uh, red light district in probably in the country. Um but Gotanda is kind of one of those, uh, it's a bit smaller in scale, but mm-hmm. the uh, the quality, mm, 
you will you will uh you will be pleasantly surprised <laughs> dude this is a family friendly podcast <laughs> well i thought it was an explicit content podcast that's true that's very yeah. true well but but anyway if any listeners are in the area to check out this bit of old land they might be able to um enjoy some other pursuits while they're there yeah certainly yeah now on on this bit of land however it wasn't home to a, a you know a sort of sexy establishment this was, no, it was it was just like a big house wasn't it yeah well it's quite interesting it was uh, the site of an old uh, ryokan called umikikam it oh seems... yeah that's right like a, like a hotel old school it, hotel exactly yes ryokan sorry is uh, yes like a japanese style hotel the um... well i guess more like more like bed and breakfast yeah, yeah, like would be I think the Western equivalent. Yes, exactly. It is like a bed and breakfast. It's just a bit more. The image of them is a bit more up upscale usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like an upscale um, bed and breakfast, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, but you, you know you can find articles about this old uh, this old yokan online. It's it does it looks quite quite interesting. But anyway, this the Ryokan itself closed down, and the owner of the land, a woman called Sakiko Ebisawa, was just living there, you know, on this big bit of land in central Tokyo. Mm-hmm, quite mm-hmm. Apparently this land, because it was so big and, and so central, it was quite well known among real estate companies. And yeah, I think it was one of those, like, few mm-hmm. remaining kind of holy grail type lots exactly. in, in Tokyo, yeah. Exactly, exactly, because... The idea being, which is exactly what Sekisui House had in mind, that companies would buy these big bits of land and build, you know, what they call like mansions in Japan, condominiums, mm-hmm. on these um, on these pieces of land. And, and just a bit of background info too, mm. like uh, I think when, when when you think of like the Tokyo skyline, you think of all these like huge buildings and like a lot of them are office buildings, but a lot of them are also condominiums and. The, the problem for these developers is, yep. like, uh, typically, there will be many small plots of land owned by, like, a bunch of different people. And so, if you want to build a huge building, you need to be able to negotiate with, like, you know, 10 different parties. Yes, exactly. And they all yes. need to agree to sell, or else, like, you, you know, you can't. Like you can't build a huge building if there's like a little hole in the middle. You know what I mean? Yes, so, exactly. Yes, yes. And, yeah, and then what? What? It ends up becoming more and more like as you get more and more people signed up, then the the people that are left have more and more leverage because if they need ten plots of land yes. and nine people have already agreed to sell, then the tenth guy is going to be able to rip you because. Like he can pretty much say say whatever he wants. Like he can charge whatever he wants because the developer needs that land. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which, which makes which makes it all the more uh, valuable if there's just one huge plot of land owned by one person. Because then you know you only need to negotiate with that person, and then you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, yeah. It can be very tricky for these developers, can't it? As you said, I think this is. Mm-hmm. Certainly why this particular bit of land was, you know, as you said, like a kind of holy grail for 
for real estate companies and developers in the area. Yeah, yeah. But in March 2017, it seemed that Seki C House was offered a chance to get this holy grail when someone claiming to be a broker for the or an intermediary for the the owner of the land, Sakiko Ebisa, approached Sekisui House and offered to sell them the land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, obviously, for the reasons we've just discussed, Sekisui House sort of jumped at the chance. And Kazushi Mitani, who was a managing executive officer at the time and was head of the Tokyo Mansion Division. Oh, sorry, just a quick aside. The Some of the official... These are, are my kind of rough translations of the names of these departments and things and officers' yeah. titles and things, so they might not be exactly correct. But just to give listeners a rough idea of what's going on. Now, this, this guy, Mitani, who was the head of the division that was basically responsible for developing mansion blocks, condominiums, in Tokyo, sort of, you know, took the lead in overseeing this transaction, purchasing this big bit of land in Otanda. Mm-hmm. So this was in March. The next month, in April, the president of the company, of Sexy House, Toshinori Abe, Abe, he, so if we mention Abe in this story, it's not Shinzo Abe, the prime minister, it's this guy, Toshinori Abe. Yep. He, who was president of Sekisui House at the time, he's now the chairman of Sekisui House, we'll come back to that. But he, he got involved, and he actually even went to see the land himself. Now, at this point, it became like a sort of, almost like a pet project of the president, you know, like, or, or a, a kind of transaction that was being directly overseen by the president, so... You know, there was a lot of pressure within the company to put this... Yeah, certainly, yeah. To, ...to push it through. And with that in mind, the company signed the contract sale... Uh, signed the contract for the sale of the land, you know, um, in April with mm-hmm. the intermediary, I guess. And they paid 1.4 billion yen which is, yeah, what, about 14 million? Yeah, 14 million, yeah. US dollars, so big, big sum of money. And then they paid the remaining... Oh, sorry, I think this was um, in June that they... Sorry, not in April that they actually signed or that they paid the money. They signed the actual sale contracts in June, I think. Well, I'm not 100% of the timeline, but... Anyway, they later paid the remaining 49 billion, I believe it was, including like fees and things. The price of the land was mm-hmm, 55 mm-hmm. billion, but they paid an extra 49 billion. So, you know, 49 uh, million US dollars. Right, right. So, yeah, again, a lot, a lot of money. How, oh, oh, sorry, 4.9 billion Japanese yen. And 49... Yeah, 49 uh, million US. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. However, after they had paid this money, the land, the transfer of this land, you know, the 
um, when they applied to get the deeds for the land and transfer the land to their name, it was yeah. rejected. The transaction was rejected by, you know, whatever government ministries responsible for overseeing this. Mm-hmm. And they realized at that point that they'd, they'd been swindled. They got bamboozled. They got bamboozled. They call, you know, this was done by a criminal organization, which we will touch on later. Um, Jimenshi, they're called in, J- in Japan. This is a crime that does happen sometimes. They're basically like land fraudsters. Yeah, yeah. But before we, we sort of touch about the actual criminals involved here, I want to talk about like what was going on in Sekisui House at, at the time and how this, you know, because this is a huge company, like why, how were they able to be swindled in this way and pay so much money? Yeah, because presumably they have really good lawyers looking at their paperwork, right? Exactly, exactly. But so this, the information I'm, I'm going to talk about now mainly comes from this article in, um, in a weekly magazine. So in this magazine, features uh, an interview with this guy called uh, Kuroda. I believe his first name is Shaw, Shaw Kuroda. Could be Aki Kuroda, I'm not 100% sure. Okay. But he was the head of the real estate department in Sekisui House at the time. Now, the reason the real estate department is important here, in addition to, remember, we had the Tokyo Mansion Department earlier, but the real estate department is important because they, basically their function within the company was to verify um, the status of counterparties and check their credit and things. You know, so, so they basically were at- they, had, they had one mm. job. Exactly. They had one job and they didn't manage <laughs> and they, it. And they fucked it up, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, that, you know, they're kind of like the credit department in a bank. That was basically what their... Right, right, right. ...what their function was. So just keep that in mind, even though they're called the real estate department. Now... This guy, Kuroda, who was the manager of the real estate department, he was sent a sort of internal approval form. And the guy that we mentioned before, Mitani, who was an, a managing director and also the head of the Tokyo Mansion division, mm. this guy, Mitani, requested that Kuroda sort of sign this internal approval form, ASAP. You know, they were like, we gotta, we got to get this transaction through. Kuroda, the, management of this, uh, the manager of this real estate department, wasn't actually sure. You know, it seemed all to be moving a bit too quickly for him. So yeah. he, he checked with the president, Abe, and the president told him to sign, yeah, to go ahead, you know, let's sign this ASAP, let's get this done. He was like, yeah, go, 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 hurry, hurry. <laughs> Exactly, let's get that money, let's get that land, Um, which is, you know, this does seem like a failure of process within Sekisui House, because normally, obviously, everyone else, all the managing officers and the other people would sign it first, and it would Mm -hmm. go around, and then the president would be the last one to give his final approval. In this case, you know, it seems like they, you know, threw caution to the wind, and just, just went full steam ahead. Mm-hmm. But now, then, there started to be some troubling signs. And here's what happened. In May, 
so this is April when they first started really going ahead with it, with the the, um, the transaction. Yeah. So then the next month in May, the legal department at Sekisui House. This is our third department. We've got the Tokyo Mansion Development Department. We've got the real estate department, and now we have the legal department. The legal yep. department started receiving letters from someone claiming to be Ebisawa, the owner of this land. And the this person claiming to be Ebisawa was stating that she was not involved in the sale of this land and that they needed to stop it, you know, because it was some, you know, there was a mistake or something. And she threatened to take legal transact uh, legal action if they didn't stop this this transaction. You know, she yeah. presumably found out because they had, you know, sort of prepared to register the land in their in their name. Karitoroku, they call it in Japanese, like preparing right. to transfer and, the And there's uh, people mm. wandering around her property, you know. Well, exactly, exactly, yes. Yeah. Which is an interesting point, I will... There's, that comes into play a little bit later, but yes, you're right. Now, in total, um, over a few days in May, the legal department received four of these letters from Ebisa, and they included the threat to take legal action, and also they included proof of her ID. The legal department shared the information about these letters with the Tokyo Mansion Department, but not the real estate department. Interesting. Which seems interesting, right? Because the real estate yeah. department is the one that has to give the approval for this. But, right, right, right. But when they shared the information with the Tokyo mansion department, the mansion department decided to continue with the transaction and instead of stopping it, they decided to go to the other landowner the fake landowner and try and get you know confirm their identity so they decided to confirm the identity of the person that they were conducting the transaction with instead of just stopping the transaction yeah 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 however so this transaction was starting to look a bit weird a bit strange mm. and although the real estate department didn't know about those letters there was kind of some word in the real estate community because, as we mentioned at the at the top, this was like a big sale, you know. Yeah. And some real estate companies and uh, brokers were sort of, you know, there were whispers that this might not, that there was something weird going on here. Mm -hmm. So then Kuroda, the guy, the manager of the real estate department, um, you know, he spoke to Mitani, the guy in the Tokyo mansion department. And suggested that they that they stop this trade, even if it meant that they would lose their the money that they had already paid. Sorry, at this point they they paid the the first sort of deposit, I guess you'd call it the one point four yeah, deposit, yeah, billion yen. Um, oh yeah, sorry. So that's what it is. So when I got confused on the timing earlier, they paid the one point four billion yen in April, and then the rest of the money later in in June. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Now. However, when Kuroda suggested that they stop this this transaction, Mitani apparently, according to this article, told him that the legal department were involved, so everything you know was fine because they were checking everything. And in fact, the Tokyo oh, Mansion I see, I see. 
department was pushing this transaction so hard that they actually brought it forward from it was supposed to be completed in on July 31st and they brought it forward to June 1st so like two months forward basically wow two months okay and apparently according to this article you know at this point Corolla felt very pressured to approve the transaction so he did give his approval yeah yeah then the big day came on June 1st the, the day for the actual sale you know when the parties meet mm -hmm. with their attorneys and uh, you know and sign the documents and this meeting the key meeting took place at a Sekisui house in a Sekisui house meeting room in Tokyo the you know yeah. supposed landowner this fake Ebisawa I guess we could we could call her was late for the meeting she also didn't bring like the land deeds with her but her or her, her attorney or the person posing as her attorney told yeah, attorney is in air quotes <laughs> exactly <laughs> told um you know the secretary house staff that they didn't actually need those land deeds to complete the transaction that they could do it with you know the id of the parties involved so long as they confirm the personal information and of course they had forged you know, but ID documents at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that, you know, people would have been wandering around this woman's property, um, you know, which, which would be strange to her, presumably. And what actually happened yeah. was, while this meeting was actually going on, an employee from Sekisui House was actually at the site in Gotanda, and this employee noticed that the lights were on in the property, which seemed weird because, <laughs> you know, the person should be in the meeting, in the lander yeah, yeah. should be in the meeting. However, the, uh, you know, before the, the employee could confirm what's happening, the police came and escorted this employee off the property. So, of course, this is like... Strange, right? Why would this happen? And the yeah. employee reported it to the Tokyo Mansion Department, and then the Tokyo Man, but the the Tokyo Mansion Department ignored it basically and said, "Oh, yeah, you like, know, yeah someone... don't worry about it. <laughs> we got this." They said, "Oh, someone is trying to, you know, the strange goings on," and they said, "Someone's just trying to stop this transaction happening. They're doing, you know, that's what's happening." Hmm. Okay. Okay. But anyway, um, so a few days after this transaction, the uh, Kuroda, the manager of the real estate department, went to the president's office about something different. And the president mentioned then these strange letters that had yeah. come about the transaction. And that apparently was the first time that the real estate department found out about those letters. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, it also seems to imply, again, this is all allegedly according to this article, but it seems to imply that the president knew about the transaction or knew that it was weird or not right before it was completed. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you know, after they, after everything had all been signed, the government rejected the you know yeah. the transfer of the land and then at that point they knew for certain it was you know they had been swindled yeah yeah 
Now, the story didn't didn't end there, you know. So basically, we've got Sekisu House, this huge company. They've been swindled out of you know many millions of dollars. And fifty-five mil. Fifty-five mil, exactly. Well, I think the actual thing, including all like the fees, I think fifty-five mil is the price of the land. If we include all the fees and things, I think it's about six point three. Billion yen? Okay. Sixty-three. Okay. Yeah. Million. Right, because you got your attorney's fees and all all that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We'll come on to what happened to the criminals, but I think maybe what happened to the company itself is more interesting, and it's kind of the reason why it's back in the news now. But you know, so this all went down in kind of April, May, June, and yeah. later on that year in. September, Isami Wada, who was the chairman of the company at the time, he chaired an investigation committee, and this committee um, produced a report, and basically this report allegedly said that the, you know, the president was, you know, partly to blame for pushing this this transaction through, despite a lack of... Yeah, which uh, I think is a reasonable statement. Yeah, exactly. A reasonable statement, exactly. But here's what happens. Uh, oh, just quickly, just before I get on to the fate of the president. Um, so following the incident, Kuroda, who was, as I said, the head of the real estate department, responsible for checking the counterparties, Mitani, who was the head of the Tokyo Mansion Department, who was really pushing this transaction to go ahead, and a man he was also a managing director, and the head mm -hmm. of the legal department, who kind of okayed it, or or not okayed it, but um, you know didn't sort of share the information properly about those letters. All those those three people were all fired by the company. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, you can't really blame blame him, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy that this that this was allowed to happen. It's so crazy, mm -hmm. you know, reading mm -hmm. about it in retrospect. But at a meeting of the board of directors in January of the next year, so early two thousand and eighteen, we're talking about now. Wada, the chairman of the company, submitted a proposal to dismiss Abe. The president of the company? Yeah, okay. This proposal was voted for by five directors and against by five directors. So it failed to receive a majority and it was rejected. Oh. However, at this point, there's a clear tension between the chairman and the president. Yeah. So what happened was Abe submitted a kind of counter motion to dismiss, the, to dismiss chairman? the chairman? Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Well, and I've read that basically, I mean, Wada did resign. I've read different sources that say the some sources say that the motion was passed, six votes to four, and some uh, some sources say that Wada knew it was about to be passed and he resigned. Uh, mm, you know, but basically, the writing was on the wall, whichever way you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whichever way you look at it. Now, here's another little tidbit for you. So, I mentioned that Wada, the former chairman at this point, 
you know, he resigned following this counter-proposal by the president, Abe. He chaired that investigation or investigative committee to see what had happened, and they produced a report. Right. However, after Wada was, you know, dismissed or resigned or forced out, after that, this report was basically buried by management. They crushed it. Oh, they really? They o- only ever released a summary, you know, the main points of the report. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Abe, who was the president when all this happened, he then became chairman of the company. Oh. And Yoshihiro Nakai um, became president in his place. He became chairman and, and this other uh, director became the, the president in his place. Wow. Now, however, <laughs> it doesn't finish there. The reason it's back in the news now is because at this company, at Sexy's House um, general meeting of shareholders this year, which is going to be on a f- in a few days, on April oh. 23rd, the old chairman, Wada, has returned to submit a, a shareholder proposal. Oh, the prodigal son returns. Yes, sir. After being forced out, he's trying to get his revenge. And he has submitted a proposal to elect, you know, basically an entirely new board of directors. It does include one re-election, uh, but, uh. but more or less a whole new board of directors including seven outside directors and four internal directors. Okay. The company, on the other hand, has stated their opposition to this proposal, as they do to all shareholder proposals, but... (laughs) Yeah. But they've stated their opposition to this proposal and they want to re-elect Abe as as the president, along with all the other directors. Um, ISS and Glass-Lewis, who are two companies, two US-based companies who um, provide advice on on voting for and against proposals mm-hmm. to shareholders, they have both... Yeah. Oh, this is, this is really interesting. <laughs> You'll like this. So ISS and Glass-Lewis have both uh, recommended voting against the re-election of Abe and also uh, Inagaki, who was who is now the vice president, and he was um, involved. He was one of the directors present at the, at the time all this happened. But yeah, yeah, they recommend voting against their re-election. You know, and this has triggered all this, as often happens here. Sekisui House has um, published a release saying what they think of their recommendations. Right. And they stated, we interpret ISS and Glass-Lewis's advice as generally supporting the views of the company. The reason being because um, ISS and Glass-Lewis have, have recommended voting for the election of the other directors. You know, out, so not... Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. So they recommend voting to drop two of the directors but they're okay with the other ones exactly exactly so so therefore they more or less agree with the company right (laughs) exactly exactly and they also the um 
ISS and Glass-Lewis, I think, as well, also recommend voting for um, Christopher Brady, who is the person that Wada, the former chairman, proposed to be elected as, a, well, as one of the directors, as a sort of head of, I'm not sure, either. The, pres presumably he would be serving as the chairman if that proposal were to succeed. Okay. But they vote okay. anyway. They voted for the election of this Christopher Brady, who apparently is a bit of an mm -hmm. expert in mm -hmm. money laundering. You know, he's like he comes from a sort of fund management background. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, it it seems unlikely that the proposal, I mean, submitted by Wada, will be, will succeed. It's it's quite rare for shareholder proposals to succeed, isn't it? Yeah, it's very rare. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean the um, the company does have sort of about one third, maybe foreign shareholders. But even so, it seems like it's going to be difficult. The it is interesting. What what do you think about why the president was pushing for this this uh, transaction so hard? Do you think they just got greedy? Well, I think the the likely explanation, I think, is just it's, mm. it's just another notch in the belt, you know. It's like yeah, yeah. So many people had had tried and failed to get this land, and it's like now it's pretty much given to you on a silver platter. You know, you're gonna you're gonna jump on that. Yeah, if, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're someone in his position, probably. Or agree, you could yeah. take the uh, conspiracy approach and you could you could say that uh, he was in on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree. I think it seems unlikely, really, that he was in on it. Very unlikely. But... Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I do agree that this... Um, you know, Mitani as well, who was the head of the the Tokyo Mansion Department at the time, that he was, yeah, viewing it as a, a notch on the belt maybe or, you know, wanted to get that scalp before before anyone took it away. Mm, yeah, certainly. And I think that's probably what happened. Yeah. Any interested listeners can actually go and read the Sekisui House proposals online and their view on that, on the ISS and Glass-Lewis advice. Just... Before we move on, because time's getting on again with this deep dive, just very quickly. Um, so they did arrest the the group that was involved in this fraudulent transaction. <laughs> They're a bit interesting as well. Um, you know, they arrested over over ten people involved with this, so it's definitely an organisation as it as it would have to be to to trick a huge company like Sekisu House with such an important or such a large transaction. Yeah, certainly, yeah. They have kind of funny names, these people. The, the main suspect was, or, or the person believed to be the ringleader, was this guy called Misao Kaminsukasu, which is kind of like, I guess a, a literal translation of that would be like blatantly a false person. Um, yeah. He was detained in the Philippines. Formerly went by the name Misao Koyama. But apparently, okay. the operation 
apparently it seems that he wasn't in fact really the ringleader but the apparently the operation was led by this guy called Mike Uchida and his real name I think was maybe Ego Uchida so probably he got you know they gave him this fake name based on his name Ego means English yeah. in, in, in in Japanese but mm-hmm. so, so maybe they he seems to have this which you know this another funny name Mike Uchida but yeah, um, you know he was arrested and received seven years in prison for this this case. But the interesting thing here is he was actually in prison when it was taking place. He was locked up inside Abashiri prison, and it seems that he was giving orders to people outside, sort of running the whole Whoa. thing from inside. Yeah, can you believe that? Yeah, that's hardcore, man. Yeah, he was already locked up for another land land sale scam. <laughs> so apparently, he's not very good at his job. <laughs> well, oh well, oh well. That okay. Final point on this before we move on. The interesting thing about these cases is normally it's very difficult um, to catch people for these uh, to you know get the actual criminals who are behind it apparently because or the ringleaders because. They pretend to be intermediaries, and if they are caught, they will just say that they were scammed as well. Right, right. Mm-hmm. However, in this case, the in the Sekisui House case, the person who claimed to be the woman, Ebisawa, you know, presumably the same person who was at that meeting, she kept a detailed diary that listed what? everything that was going on you know and it had very detailed information you know according to like the articles i read it was like so and so gave me this fake id on this day and the, you know this kind of information and so as a result yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. managed to catch the group behind this this land sale but it seems that on well, the sec- I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe she was she was being smart about it you know she was thinking well if if i do get caught I could, this would be a great bargaining chip with for the prosecutors. Certainly, certainly. Or yeah. these people being criminals and lots of money being involved. You know, maybe she thought, well, if I write everything down and then I can tell the group, you know, if anything happens to me, this oh, diary yeah, will come out. Yeah. Because there have been cases of this sort of, as I said, Jimenshi is the Japanese word, like land fraudsters, I guess you'd call them. There have been cases Mm of, you know, elderly people um, sort of passing away, it not being clear who owns the land, or their house is sitting vacant for a number of years, and then the the land fraudsters getting involved and trying to sell them to other people. But these kind Mm -hmm. of cases raise the question of, well... Did all those old people pass away under natural circumstances, you know? Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Perhaps the fake Ebisawa, the fake landowner, yeah, perhaps wrote all this down so that she could use it for leverage against the other criminals. But mm-hmm. that's obviously just real Japan speculation. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway... Apologies to listeners for going a bit deep on that one again, but these kind of murky murky cases are quite interesting sometimes, and it will be also be interesting to see what happens with, you know, Abe 
the chairman at, at sixty yeah. thousand. Well, uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll move it along then. Yep. Uh, so we'll we'll shift back to mildly coronavirus related news. Yes, sir. Um, so let me uh, let me pull up the article here. Okay, so this was published. Uh, let's see, on the eighteenth of April, in the Nikkei newspaper. Yep. Uh, but it is a an article on traffic accident uh, statistics. Okay. And and every year in Japan in the spring they have um, a traffic safety week where yeah. um, basically everyone's supposed to you know be uh, be more vigilant in not killing themselves on the road. Yep. And. The statistics released by the government indicate that, so this this year it was from April 6th to the 15th, mm. and there were a total of 7,645 traffic incidents in Japan during that week, which is a 26% decrease compared to last year. Oh, but that's quite good. Yeah, yeah last year there were a little bit over 10,000 for that week. Ooh. And the uh, the obvious uh, reason for such a steep drop is that a lot of people are staying home mm. because of the uh, state of emergency and all that. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Yeah, so just less people on the road, you know, and less people getting run over on crosswalks, just less people all around. Yeah, not more effective safety measures. No, <laughs> dude, never. <laughs> um, but my 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 bit doesn't stop there. Okay. Um. So I so I was curious. So there there is always the stereotype uh, that Asians are shitty drivers, right? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's, it's, it's like that in the UK. Do people um, say that? People do say it. Yes, unfortunately. I mean, it's. Uh... I've heard it more from like American comments on the internet and things, but yeah. But I think people in the UK do know about the stereotype as well. It's especially Asian women, right? Is the yeah, yeah. Middle-aged Asian women are like the worst. Yeah, is is how the story goes. Mm. Um, so, um, sex and age aside, I did. I mm. I was able to find the OECD publishes statistics uh, for. I think 30 some odd countries. Okay. That, uh, so the, the annual number of uh, fatalities and injuries um, in uh, traffic related. Okay. And I've always found that this, the weird thing about these road incident statistics is so, so you tell me, okay, there were 7,000. 7, uh, incidents during uh, you know that week in April, mm. but like, but I don't, I don't really like. What does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, is, I, is is that is that a lot? Is that like, yeah, it's impossible to tell. And so there is an alternative measure which which I've always thought was much more effective, which is um, like incidents per, I think. 100 million kilometers driven. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Which um, yeah, not just not even yeah, just which per means capita. So for, mm. Yeah. So for yeah, yeah. So for every one hundred thousand kilometers that people in that country drive, like how many incidents can you expect? Mm. You know, which which I think is a much better indicator of um, like how high or low um, the, the incident rate is, um, yeah. compare, comparing it in the same country and comparing across countries as well. Yeah. And, and so since, uh, Ferg's from the UK, I'm from the U S and we live in Japan, mm. I, I was able to find the statistics for, and these are statistics for 2010, which okay. is, uh, so, so they're, they're a bit old. Uh, yeah. but, it's, but it's the last year I was able to find um, data for all three of these countries. Um, yeah, not super so old either. Mm. Yeah. So, so in 2010, so we'll, we'll, we'll start with the U.S. Um, so for every 100 million kilometers driven, there were a little bit under seven fatalities. Okay. And about, about 330 injuries. Mm, okay. So just keep those numbers in mind. So seven and three thirty for the U.S. Mm, yeah. Then we go to the U.K. Mm. And in the U.K. I hope it's lower. It is lower. Oh yeah. It is, it is, it is significantly lower. Is it? It is three point eight fatalities. Oh, that's so, so about half. Oh wow. The fatality rates about half, and three hundred and fifteen injuries. So the injury rates about mm. the same. But you're but you're much less likely to die if you're in an accident in the UK. In the US. Yeah, in the US it was seven fatalities. Oh yes, per sorry, yes. Million. Sorry, yes, yes, I yes, I got mixed up yeah, there. And yes, in the UK yes. it was it was about it was about uh three three point eight. Yes, yes. So so good job. It's it, it it's hard mm. to get a license in the UK, right? Like it's kind of a pain in the ass. Um yeah, heard, but. I'm not sure. I, I've never taken a test anywhere else. I have been to driving school in Japan, though. It was... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it probably is quite difficult in the UK. I mean, it, everyone drives manual, like really. How, like, how long does it take? Like, Well, it took me three attempts to pass my driving test. I passed it on the third. It was, I would say, it's... Most people take more than one attempt, I would say. It takes, I think I had okay, about, okay. I think I had about 10 lessons before my first attempt, something like that. So. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, in the, in the US, it's, uh, yeah, you just go down to the DMV, the motor vehicle mm. department, and uh, you take a, a paper test, which is like 20 questions. Yeah. Um, and I think you need to get uh, something. I think it's like 15 or 16, right, mm. to pass. Yeah, yeah. And, and basically, like, there's like a little booklet that they publish. And if you, if you read it and you're not a total failure, then you can pass pretty easily. Mm, um, mm. And then after that, you just, it's like some dude, you, like, you go in your own car. Mm. I mean, obviously you can't drive there you know you you have someone drive for you yep. and then uh you take your own car and then some guy from the motor vehicle office sits next to you and you drive around the block mm. 
and that's it. Is it really like around the block or? Cause in the, like pretty yeah. much, yeah. Like I would say, like total, it's like maybe a mile. Oh really? Yeah, he's just like, all right, take a left up here. All right, take a right. Okay. <laughs> that, and, yeah. Uh, and they used to make you like when when I got mine, like they uh, you had to parallel park. Mm, yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah. But. Yeah, but apparently they're either they got rid of that or they're gonna get rid of it just because like people don't parallel park that much anymore. Added yeah. with the fact that like a lot of cars have like driving assist these days. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, in, in the UK, I don't know. Maybe it's changed now. But when I did it, yeah, I mean, it was basically the same. You had a driving a test person, you know, sitting next to you and. You drove around, but it was maybe it was maybe like an hour of driving around. Really? Yeah, wow. and you had to do yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, you know, parallel parking, reversing around corners and stuff in three point turn, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know. But also, just it was quite a lot of just driving around the the general roads and stuff, you know. Yeah, that's wild. So I guess that's pretty close to because I, I got yeah. my license in Japan, and it it was about like the the road driving part was. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe not an hour, but like oh, uh, over thirty minutes, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was some interesting uh, stuff there. But okay, mm. now we're now we're getting into it. Okay. So what? So I'm are the Japanese? Are they shitty drivers? Dude, dude, we can't stereotype people like that. Because, because my hypothesis was people in this country do not know how to drive. Dude. But but here it is. Don't, a, that, that's just the hypothesis, okay? Okay. But the, I have, yeah, I'm presenting the numbers now. Oh, okay, can't argue with, so, with the numbers. Yeah, so the numbers. All right, so remember, so in the U.S., mm. seven, seven people die yep. for every 100 million. In the UK, it's three three point eight. Yeah. In Japan, it's eight. Eight? Oh no! Yeah. Ah, oh, yikes! So, so more people die. But but but. Yeah. This is not the most striking number. Oh no! What? So so okay. So the deaths are a bit higher, right? Okay, we'll give yeah. them that. But it's not it's not night and day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe compared to the UK, but not compared to the US. Yeah. So the injury rate, yeah, the, the, the or not the injury rate, but the number of injuries per hundred million kilometers, yeah. In the UK, US and the UK, it was a little bit over three hundred. Yeah. In Japan, it is one thousand. One thousand. Three times as high. Yeah, it is triple. Wow. So, so just driving your car, you are three times more likely to be in an accident and get injured in Japan. That's crazy. Do you and slightly more likely to die? Crazy. I personally, when I'm driving around, I, I mean, I don't feel like the roads are unsafe, and I feel like people are usually well mannered. Apart from drivers that tailgate, that's a big problem here. But that aside. Yeah, well, how, yeah. How do you feel about driving in Japan? Do you feel unsafe on the roads? Um, I, I personally, I don't feel unsafe. Hmm. But I see people driving. Like, like the other day, I was on the freeway, mm. and um, 
it, it was it was the situation where there was like four lanes going yeah. you know the same direction yeah and then like i mean it's kind of a bad setup but so so there's one two lane thing and another mm. two lane yeah and and they merge into four yeah yeah and and it goes for like you know maybe like one or two kilometers and then it branches out again yeah yeah so 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 you got a lot of people like coming in from the right side but they need to like get over to the left side to get mm. onto the other one you know mm. it's like one of those situations yeah so so i'm just cruising along so i i'm in a situation i come in on the right and then i gotta go over to the left yep to yep. you know go go where i will go where i'm going yeah and I, and i see this other car coming in from the left and they need to go to the right yeah but for whatever reason they were really uh they didn't realize until the last minute i guess that they needed to get over to the right oh no they weren't paying attention yeah and so but it was just jarring because like literally this car is like stopped ah oh, no way yeah on like, the freeway. like trying yeah it's just like stopped at a complete stop on and on the freeway with their like turn signal on like waiting for other people to come to a complete stop to let him in ah that's not good is it yeah but like that i see that type of situation like mm. somewhat often where yeah like uh just with merging and stuff where where people will just not realize that they need to be in a different lane until the very last minute and yeah. they, they, either, they either stop or they like make a huge swerve to like get over yeah that's really you just got to go to the next one if it's too late yeah. don't you? but but i don't know y yeah exactly yeah but but i don't know because i i see behavior like that in the u.s mm. as well mm. but well, it doesn't seem to generate the same number of accidents. So I, I don't, I don't know. What, yeah. I don't know why it's as high as it is. Re well, to recently, be perfectly honest. Well, let's say what you think about this. Recently, I was nearly in an accident that I think might be more common in in Japan than elsewhere. This mm. was so I was driving along a country road, you know, surrounded by farms, and right, right. You know, it's like maybe a 50 kilometer um, limit on this road. So it's not fast. But on the other hand, mm. you know, cars well, are... It's not uh, yeah, awfully slow either. Exactly, exactly. You know, cars are moving at a, a decent enough speed. And there was a side road. And I was driving along. And there was a car, a little light truck, as it seems like almost everyone drives here. Yeah waiting to pull onto the main road that i was driving on oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah and the guy he looked like an older man he waited until i was so close and then he pulled out right in front of me i couldn't believe it <laughs> i had to slam on the brakes i'm lucky there wasn't another yeah. car behind me because mm, especially was... if they were tailgating you oh oh if there was another car tailgating me there'd have been no chance yeah, they would have crashed would, into yeah, me and i would have crashed yeah. into yeah I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I guess he wasn't paying attention, you know. I don't want to stereotype, but based on the car he was driving, he looked like an old farmer, you know. Right, right. He was probably just like, fuck it, man. Like, mm. <laughs> Yeah. They'll stop. Well, I, I was, 
like while we were talking about this, I was thinking about why, because you're right. I don't feel like I see shitty behavior in Japan and and in the U.S. So why do so many more people die and get injured? And I think a lot of it, like I think one thing that is different in Japan uh, compared to at least the U.S. is like when I'm driving, like pedestrians. Oh. Like, 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 first of all, there's just a lot more pedestrians. Yeah. But, but second of all, I do get the sense that Japanese pedestrians, like, just aren't as aware of their surroundings. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because often, like, if I'm making, like, a left turn, mm. like, just... Like, like a bicycle will just, like, zoom right past me. Like, I've got my turn signal on. Like, I'm getting ready to turn. Yeah. And this bicycle just comes and, like, is just does not care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like, that happens pretty often. And I think in, in the U.S. at least, like, if I'm walking, which I don't do that often when I'm over there, but, (laughs) (laughs) but when I am walking, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty aware of my surroundings as far as like the traffic situation, because Mm. I know that generally speaking, people aren't paying attention. Mm. And so I I don't want to, like, I don't, I don't want to die. You know, so, so I'm, I'm pretty careful, like whenever I'm crossing the street, but people over here, I think there's this assumption that, that the cars are paying attention so the pedestrians can do whatever they want. Yeah. That's interesting. That could, yeah. 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 Also, um, I feel like I'm not sure about compared with the U S but compared with the UK in the cities here, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more sort of narrow roads like if you're driving off the main road it seems narrower and there's no pavement or sidewalk usually Mm-mm-mm. yeah yeah that's true that's true and there's a lot more blind corners in japan for sure yeah 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 and, and also uh, before we wrap up this is mm. this is related but i think like one of the biggest differences i've seen uh driving in Japan and driving in the US is that in the US we're we're taught that so there are rules of the road but yeah. you should always you should be a defensive driver right it's kind of the yeah. mindset it, it, so yes there are rules but you should always assume that other people are not going to follow the rules so you so you always got to be on your toes yeah when you're driving i mean that's 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 what they teach you but in Japan it's it's a very different approach to driving. The way the way they teach driving over here is that if everybody follows the rules, then nothing bad will happen. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah. So the underlying assumption in Japan is that everyone is following the rules. Yeah. Which which I feel like leads to a sense of complacency with regard to pedestrians and their awareness of the vehicles around them whereas you know like like i said in in the u.s the underlying assumption is 
people do not follow the rules. So you got to protect yourself. Yeah, that is interesting. I did actually read something about this recently. It was actually slightly unrelated. It was in a book about mountains, and it was talking about the way we should approach climbing on mountains. But in this book,、okay. the guy said he compared it to driving, and he、mm-hmm, said that he、mm-hmm. went to like some kind of driving safety seminar, and they were talking about in Japanese. It was like daro unten, and that was a kind of complacent mindset, right? And he said. Uh, the、mm-hmm. instructor of this seminar was、yeah. saying that people should be shifting from daro unten to unten being driving in 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 Japanese to kamoshirenai、yeah. unten, which is more like you said, like defensive or like anything could happen, right? Rather than daro unten, which in Japanese yeah, has a yeah, sense of、yeah. you know it will probably be okay, sort of thing, or, or you know it will yeah, probably yeah. be like、mm-hmm. this. That's interesting. Yeah, maybe there could be a mind, a shift in mindset over time if, if,、uh, yeah, if people do take a different approach to driving. Yeah, but I don't know. This this whole conversation might be obsolete in a couple of decades, right? Where we're all yes, sir. Our cars, our cars drive for us with the、uh, with our five G connections. Yes, sir. We'll be telling our grandchildren. We'll be like, well, back in my day, we had to actually drive the cars, and they'll be yeah, like, "Yeah, see this? This is it's called a steering." I'll show them a picture of my car from back in the day. This is a steering wheel. Yeah,、see? we had to, we had to turn this little knob here. Yeah, and they'll say, "Oh, come on, no, you didn't." Yeah, no way. What? So you could just drive anywhere? <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, we could off road. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. But、uh, yeah, I guess we'll、uh, we'll end it on that note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So、um, yeah, we'll go go through with the end of episode spiel then.、Um, yes, sir. Find us on on Instagram or Twitter.、Uh, our username is Real Japan Guys. Or you can look for us on our website at thereal.jp. Yep. Or feel free to email us at mail at thereal dot jp. Yep. And yeah, okay. Well,、uh, thanks for sticking with us. If you stuck with us this long, then you have our thanks. Yep. Apologies to listeners again for another slightly complex or convoluted deep dive, but well, as Kenzo said, yeah, we'll said, try to. Yeah, we'll、uh, we'll. we'll Look for some more,、uh, some more bite-sized tidbits for next week. Yes, sir. Yeah. But、uh, yeah. With that being said, we will see you all again next time. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye.